That's a good song. I, I think y'all do it better than the people on the radio, honestly. Praise the Lord. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 9 through 14. And, you know, some of these songs that we were singing, especially with what Miss Donna was reading about Beulah Land this morning, I don't know if you all realize it, but all of these, um, these types of scriptures, for instance, these are written to a people who are persecuted for doing God's will here on earth. I don't know if you know that, but they're being unjustly crucified, I should say, or persecuted either way. Um, And so what they're doing is God is reminding them that what we experience in this life will not be the same as what we experience in the next life. And so I've often said that most of the time what concerns me is that in the American church, I don't know that we're praying for Jesus to return as enough because when things are terrible and they're terrible for God's people, that's when God's people tend to long for the return of Jesus Christ. And that's something to think about, and it's actually a little bit of what is going on in the book of Luke, in fact, is that they're concerned about the kingdom of God and where it's going to be and when it's going to come. In fact, most of the passage, even though I'm taking snippets and basically giving little snippets of Scripture with maybe, you see right there, you see, do the math real quick, five verses ultimately, right? Uh, Five verses, but those five verses are part of a longer passage that deals with eschatology. In other words, the last things. Everything that Jesus is talking about seems to be connected to the return of Jesus Christ when he comes back to save us, his people, from the the world's persecution. And I'm not talking like what you and I go through where people make fun of us for being Christians. I'm talking like where people are actually losing their lives and friends, families turning on family, and turning people over to authorities for following Jesus Christ stuff. So you and I, we should be grateful for where we are right now. We should be grateful for what, what our lives are like at this moment and not neglect desiring the return of Jesus Christ. Well, this morning I'm going to talk to you about salvation. It's given to the humble. And this week I was reading the newspaper, and I, I, I told my wife, I said, when I read the newspaper and I see what other pastors write, sometimes I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit in me trying to get me to challenge that or if it's jealousy. It's so hard to, I'm human like everybody else, it's hard to tell the difference. But I saw an article this week, and it was talking about overcoming the temptation to be discouraged. And one of the things that stood out to me in that article was that it was a minister who wrote it, and he said that he had this conversation with an older lady, someone who's along in years, and one of the things that she asked was whether or not she could be assured that she was going to go to heaven, if I remember it correctly. I'm pretty sure that's how she said it. She was wanting to know where she could find assurance. Now, I will tell you, before I even get started, that um, the reason I'm citing this is because it's not any discouragement that you and I may experience. It's not always because of the enemy. 
I want you all to know that. So there's more perspectives to this than just simply quoting proof text, which is basically what the man uh, gave to this lady was proof text of why she didn't need to worry. And I always have this rule of thumb that I follow in my personal life is this. If I'm concerned about being rightly connected to God, I don't think that's from the enemy. Y'all hear what I'm saying? If I'm concerned about being rightly connected to God, it's not the enemy trying to discourage me and make me feel bad because what he wants to do is to disconnect me from God. In fact, if I'm disconnected from the Lord, then it's only reasonable to think that he's not going to even want me to think about my salvation. He'll, he would rather me continue to believe that I'm rightly connected to the Lord so that I will somehow miss heaven. And so I'm saying this, this morning that you and I should think about these things that when we have believers quoting proof texts to encourage us and make us feel better, maybe that is us sometimes actually getting in the way of the Holy Spirit. I don't think I'm being unreasonable. In fact, I mean, we've been going through Luke, and like I've said, this is this short passage we're going to be in is a short passage of a much larger passage that is talking about the kingdom of God. And one of the things that the Pharisees are doing in, in this section, if you want to look at the section, you could probably start around uh, chapter 16 and maybe go to verse or chapter 19 to get a good idea of what the passage is about. But what the Pharisees are asking Jesus in this passage beforehand is, look, how do we know when the kingdom of God is going to show up? It's a great question. And so what Jesus then says to them is, well, it's not something that you're going to be able to see um, and say, well, here it is, or there it is, because it's the kingdom of God is actually in your midst. It's in you, right? There's one thing that I think that we as Christians have to do a better job of is understanding that it's about being rightly connected to the Lord, right? It's, it's not just about whether or not we know about him. It's, it's whether or not we're rightly connected to him. And if we are rightly connected to him by observing him as king and living like we're in his kingdom now. Because remember what he said, the kingdom is in your midst or in you, but it's not something the Pharisees would have liked to have seen is to be able to say, oh, here comes the king, he's sitting on his throne right now, and that means we Pharisees are in charge again. Because this is really what they're concerned about, right? And so when I see stuff very often from people um, about being, whether or not we're saved or not saved, you know, and again, thank God I am not the judge, Amen. I mean, thank God you're not the judge because none of us would make it except maybe me or you, would, from your perspective, just you, right? I mean, we would be in trouble, right? God is certainly merciful, and I don't want you to misunderstand anything that I'm telling you this morning. But the point that I want to get across to you is that salvation is going to be given to those who are humble. That's who's going to receive salvation, 
And so we come across people in our everyday lives who are Christians. They tell you this, right? And we've been talking about this. They will tell you they're Christians, they follow Jesus, but yet sometimes if we're honest, we can't help but notice maybe the bad fruit that we see. And so the Holy Spirit then begins to talk to us, and the Holy Spirit makes us feel concerned about our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the reason we're feeling concerned is because hopefully it's the love of Jesus Christ in us who has developed this concern for those who are not living rightly connected to him. So these things actually happen. And what's so amazing about Luke, if you go back to what we've been saying, um, we actually started in Luke around Advent season, and then we've come back to it in the last few weeks because Luke is doing such a great job of establishing what is valuable in God's kingdom. It's not money or possessions or these worldly ideas of what we think might make us important people or have better lives. It's the value system in God's kingdom always seems to value people. That's what's valuable. I mean, this is why Jesus gives his life as the sacrifice. I was telling somebody this morning that, you know, what's so crazy uh, uh, about these false religions that are in this world. I know I sound very harsh, don't I? But I, I can't help it. Um, those gods expect us to make sacrifices for them. Jesus sacrifices himself for us. It's crazy. And I think that's why people have such a hard time receiving Christ because it's in our human nature. We, feel, we just feel like we have to do something to give something to a different divine being uh, because it just if we do something we feel better about ourselves and which in reality it seems that we're actually um, I guess elevating ourselves to justify ourselves when we do this but it's Jesus who by his grace and mercy from the position of his love for us who puts himself on the cross so that you and I might have the opportunity to go to the married land. Did you hear that this morning? To the married land. Wow. So the last few weeks, we've been talking about the rich man and Lazarus. Remember that? And, I, and one of the points was for us to be careful of false security. Because I want you to notice this trend. When you start un, having to interpret Scripture especially when you're only getting little snippets like what I'm giving you for the sake of time, when you're trying to interpret Scripture, you need to let the context of the entire book help you to determine what's being communicated. What is the point of the author? And so what happens is in the rich man and Lazarus, we found that the rich man was someone who was living fine, okay? He was doing good as far as we're concerned. But the problem was, there was a poor man laid at his gate that he would have to step over. And I would imagine it, this poor man, it, it, he, he was somebody that disgusted him that he was there, and he continued to step over. 
No one was the wiser until Jesus says the rich man was in hell. Do you remember that? And so this is what's interesting. He thought he was rightly connected to God because he was a child and a son of Abraham. Do you remember us talking about this? And because he thought he was the son of Abraham, ethnically, or because of who he is, or because he was part of Israel, then what he thought was then automatically, go back to proof texts, he's going to be fine. Because they have all of this scripture about how God's going to take care of Israel, right? So we don't need to worry about it. But yet he called Abraham his father and Abraham's in a different location than where he's at. Remember that? This is an interesting thing. So last week, uh, we were talking about the man in chapter, I think it was seven, the centurion. And so we kind of backtracked, and we talked about the centurion who had this servant that nobody cares about, right? Who cares about that servant? Remember, he was dying. He was terminal. The centurion who seemingly has all of this clout in society, the centurion's going to ask a request of Jesus, and the request is, Jesus, would you heal my servant? Now, and we're, we're going to be sitting there thinking, let him go. He's just, you know, this is just the way it is. You can get another servant. But when they were talking to Jesus, there was this little bit of a conversation that was so important. See, the elders of the synagogue whom the centurion had built and put money into their synagogue said he loved the nation of Israel. And then they told Jesus, they said, he deserves for you to do this healing for him because of what he's done for us. Because we're so your people anyway, right? We're God's people. And Jesus doesn't say anything. He just goes with them. But then these other guys, the friends come along, and then they say, um, hey, whoa, stop right there, Jesus. The centurion, my, my master, he says, don't come any further. He's not worthy for you to come under his roof because he knows you have authority to just simply say from there, he's not worthy for you to even come into his house. <laughs> Jesus says something to us that was important. Remember, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. Uh-uh, nobody talks like this. And all of Israel thinks that they're rightly connected to God's kingdom. They all do. And so that's why when I get to this place this, this morning, I feel that I'm justified in being able to question some things that if somebody feels like they're not rightly connected to the Lord, we don't just give proof text to them and say, don't worry about it. Isn't that what most of preachings come to anyway? Where we're just helping people to feel good about themselves? And you know what Jesus calls this? I know I'm going to sound harsh, but he says, you know what the Pharisees do when they do this? They're making someone twice as much the son of hell as they are. Don't put yourself in the way of the Holy Spirit. You, if you feel discouraged, you need to look at passages like this because what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's causing everyone 
to reevaluate, am I a child of God or not? Because right after this section of what the kingdom of God is going to be like, you start getting these examples of people who are rightly connected to God's kingdom and the examples of those who are not rightly connected to God's kingdom. Y'all can read it for yourself. It would be easy to say I'm pushing a doctrine or whatever, but this is why I always challenge you to read it for yourself because hopefully I'm pushing what the Bible says. And I don't know about you, but none of you all can stand in my place when it comes time to give an account. So with that at stake, I have got to figure out what's going on for my own sake. Y'all see what I'm saying, right? So this is the text in the context that we're in because Jesus is saying that, in fact, there's going to come a day where everybody longs for his return. And those who look like this or don't look like that, these will be the people who are in God's kingdom. Remember what the old proverb says. Believe half of what you see, none of what you hear, right? Hmm. Let's look at verse, or chapter 18, verses 9 through 14 real quick. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. I gotta stop. I'm just gonna say this because I'll forget. Previously, what did he say? There'll be two people in a bed, one will be taken and one will be left. He's still dealing with twos here. Let's continue on. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Just going to make a quick statement before I get into the first point, but did you hear what he said? Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And we're staying with that strand of what it's going to look like. What you experience in this life may not be what you experience in the next life. Are you all picking up on what's going on here? The kingdom of God turns everything upside down. Everything is upside down. What we think is up is actually down in God's kingdom, and what is down is actually up. Let's look at the first thing I want you to see. Those who are humble can receive salvation if they have no confidence in their own righteousness. Now, this is an interesting statement, and you're all probably saying, well, a pastor teaches something we don't know, right? I mean, You and I, we know that the grace of God, we are established by his grace. We certainly can't trust in 
our works or our abilities. We all get this, but look out, look out. Even though doctrinally sometimes we are sound, sometimes our actions give us away, don't they? And this is literally what Jesus would say about the Pharisees again. He said, look, do what they say, just don't do what they do, right? Remember that in Matthew? Do what they say. They're telling you the truth, but just don't do like they do. So here's what he says. He says, look, if you look at the Pharisee, because Luke's already clued us in, that there are some who are confident in their own righteousness. In fact, they're trusting in what they've done. And Jesus says, look, here's a Pharisee and a tax collector. So the narrator, Luke, obviously, if you've ever read a novel, you already know that the narrator knows what's going on inside the people that they're talking about. They know what's in their heart. They're giving you the bird's eye view of what's going on. So Luke's already established. The Pharisee was confident in everything he's done. So Jesus goes on and he says, you know, this Pharisee actually has the nerve to come into the temple, and what he does is he prays to the Lord, and he seems so thankful. He says, Lord, thank you that I'm not like all these yucky people, right? Thank you that I'm not like one of those nasty sinners who, who just don't do anything right. They ought to know better. Thank you that I'm not like them. Because, Lord, I give a tenth of all I get to you. Now, what we know, remember what I said? We've already established something in God's kingdom, haven't we? God doesn't value money like you and I do, right? God does not care about our money. He cares about what our money causes us to be like, but he doesn't need our money, right? Oh, but remember the centurion. <laughs> Jesus, he deserves for you to do whatever he says because he's given so much out of his pocket to the synagogue. This man has great faith, Jesus. <laughs> That's not what it is, is it? When we know Christians who do this, don't we? I mean, we know Christians sometimes who like to tell you, I give a 10% all the time. And then whenever I hear that, I'm going to be honest with you. Hopefully it's the Lord using me, but I'm a little bit of a stinker sometimes, and I can't help it. I think it's just something in my nature, but I always like to say, but you know, that's really only a starting point. Did you know that? And they just look at me like I've got three heads. Because my favorite is when people used to say, oh, tithing's not in the New Testament. You know what I always said? You're right. Jesus said, give it all. Oh, 10% ain't that bad now, is it? <laughs> you know, and let me say, as a pastor, good grief, can I tell you all something? You better believe that that Pharisee, he's going to catch my eye. This man's going to catch my eye. It's, if, it, if it wasn't good enough that he was coming to church all the time, but then he's actually anting up out of his pocket, right? He's giving 10%. And then, oh, this is the kicker. He fasts twice a week. So if, if I'm going to proclaim a, a, a fast, well, I can count on him. He's really going to do it. Do you not think that as a pastor, I'm going to be attracted to that man? I mean, I would take a room full of these guys, right? They would be like, oh my goodness. I mean, they're going to give, you know, they're going to give to charity. Well, they'll tell you about it while they do it. But that doesn't matter. They're at least going to give. 
And so I'm going to say, at least to me, from what I could see, this guy's righteous. We've got to have this man. (laughs) The problem is, the guy's confidence was in everything he's done for the Lord. You know, that was one of the things in that article, too. The guy assured this woman, don't worry about it because you've gone to church all your life. You've gone to church all your life. Don't you worry about a thing. You're fine. Y'all listen to me. God does not care what you and I do. He cares about what is in our heart and where we put our trust. If your trust is not in Jesus Christ, it's in what you're doing, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that you're just living legalistically like the Pharisee does or did, and you're not rightly connected to God's kingdom. And this happens more often than you and I might think it does. Let's continue on. Let's look at the next thing I want you to see. Those who are humble can receive salvation if they do not look down on others. <laughs> Whew, man, this one here annoys me. And the reason why I get passionate about this is because uh, I've told you all in the past, when I was a kid, my dad was the town villain. I mean, he was the guy, right? I mean, the police, they were at our house on a regular basis. What do you suppose people looked at me like? How do you think people treated my mother and I, right? I've said this to some of you in the past that when I was in Boy Scout, or Cub Scouts, I'm sorry, I have a picture in the bottom of a basement at a church. And, one, you, know, and you know, church ladies, I got a little bit of a look. No offense, you all know though. And, then, and one of them just sitting there just, me and my mom, right? My mom's pinning something on me. They're just like, I got to tell you something. That's why I never went to church. <laughs> People look down. I am so contrary to society. Um, if you look down on me, I look down on you right back, right? I just do. And if you don't want anything to do with me, that's the way I am. I'm like, well, then that's fine. I'll give you your wish. I'm not the only one that thinks that way. But look what Luke said about this Pharisee, right? He said that not only was this Pharisee confident in his own righteousness, but this Pharisee looked down on people. You know, you can tell it too, right? If you've ever experienced it, you can feel the sneers. Remember, they were sneering at Jesus. For Pete's sake, man. They looked down on Jesus Christ even. Because in reality, if somebody's not rightly connected and they have all this truth, what it is is that they're actually idolaters who are actually redefining their own righteousness to justify themselves to have a happy afterlife. They don't really care about anything about what Jesus says. And in fact, in this larger passage, what Jesus says is there were those who didn't want this, to, this king to be their king. And so then at the end, I, I, I told somebody, I'm going to post this on Facebook. Here's what the hipster Jesus says. And at the end of that statement, then he says, 
uh, when that day comes, that king that, whom they didn't want to be their king, he's going to have them brought in, and he's going to tell his servants, I'm sorry for saying it, but it's scripture. Kill them all in front of me. And how do we know that they didn't want him to be the king? Well, they didn't do anything he said. And in fact, because they thought they were so perfect in their ways, what, what happened? They started to look down on the people around them, right? They, they were appalled, like certain people groups, right? Certain people groups, ah, they're disgusting. Ugh. Get away. Remember Jesus in the house of the Pharisees having dinner. How's he, does he know who he's touching? He's touching that woman. She's a prostitute. Oh, oh my goodness. Get away. If he knew any, and if he knew anything about religion, he would have nothing to do with that person. But Luke is saying, according to Jesus, the Pharisee, even though he's practicing all of this religion, even though Oh, man, he's fasting twice a week and giving a 10%. He is not connected rightly to God's kingdom. He is not. Jesus seems to think that it's so obvious you could even still um, see this in the way the Pharisee would stand in front of the people in the temple and brag about himself while the contrast that Luke's teaching us with is the tax collector that everybody feels justified to hate because they do nothing that is right. They are evildoers. They take from everybody. But the man who's the tax collector is standing off to the side with his head down and doesn't even look up into heaven. He doesn't even look up into heaven because he's humble. And because of his humility I just love what Luke says. He starts, he starts to look up into heaven and he's like, have mercy on me, oh God. I'm no good. I'm no good. And I know it. Jesus said, you know something? He may not be doing it all right, but when you get to married land, that's the kind of person you're going to find in married land. What we long to see and hope for, it's not going to be all this half of what, remember, believe half of what you see, none of what you hear. You and I might be getting fooled by those who say they are following Jesus Christ, but Jesus isn't. Beulah land is going to be full of people who know they're not worthy to be there. Did you know that? Huh. Look at the last thing I want you to see. Those who are humble can receive salvation if they plead with God for mercy. <laughs> I mean, Tom T. Hall knew it, didn't he? Some of you young people don't know what I just said. Trust me, it was really funny. Um, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you get better looking every day, right? I just loved that song when I was a kid. But Tom T. Hall knew it. We buy into it. But unfortunately, sometimes we may go to church all of our lives and do all of these things like fast and give all of our, I mean, we could probably cite, you know, how much money I've given to the church since I've been a Christian. I mean, you know, I don't even know what I've given, and I, and I, I probably wouldn't tell you anyway, because you'd probably be like, oh, this bad guy, 
He's either stingy or bad off. But, it, but either way, we, we can't, what we've given doesn't matter. But here's the thing. When I pray, one of the things that I try to make sure that I work on is recognizing my need for God's mercy. Because everything that I've done, doesn't matter if I've, if I've led anybody to Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if I've cheered someone up to be able to stand on the promises of God and, 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 and help them, I guess, in, in a counseling session. None of that matters. I know that I don't live well enough to be able to find myself righteous enough to be in heaven. I need God's mercy. I need his mercy. I was thinking about this morning, about the time I've told some of you when I was a youth pastor, and I took our youth group to St. Louis, Missouri. We went to Six Flags, and we, were, we had a great day, and we were getting ready to leave the park and had everybody rounded up. I don't know, there might have been 30 kids there. I can't remember. And when we were getting ready to leave, out of the corner of my eye, I caught this picture of the mechanical bulls. Have I told you all this before? And I thought, I'm going to go ride that thing. I told my wife, I'm going to ride it. She was like, no, we need to go. You know how she always bosses me, right? I guess that was one time I needed to listen to her because when I, I well, I ignored her, didn't I? And, and so I said, nope, I'm going to ride it. I'm never going to get this close to another mechanical bull. We're in St. Louis. Let's take advantage of the opportunity. Now, I know that if you don't know me well, I'm aware of it. Sometimes I have an arrogant look about me. I wish that I didn't. But I, I'm aware of the way I look sometimes, and I think that that's what causes problems for me. So because I'm aware of it, I realize that Probably in this situation, because when I got on that mechanical bull, probably with this arrogant look, like I just thought, I'm just going to ride this thing, man. I'm going to show them how it's done, right? We're all going to just, you're going to, y'all just stand back and learn, learn something. Put my hand in that stirrup. I, I told that guy, I said, let's go. He cranked it up. First, first buck, right up off. My thumb, for some reason, my hand turns the wrong way. And I, all my weight comes down and turns, turns my thumb out this way, 90-degree angle. I felt this sharp, sting, warm sensation. You know what I'm talking about. You know, that's not a good thing. And I was trying to think, you know, I'm riding this thing because at this point, I'm holding on with my legs is what I'm doing. And I'm like, I don't know what happened, but something doesn't feel right. I think something's wrong. And so, I, I, you know, he's... You know, he's just flipping me around all over the place. And so I let go of that thing. I wanted to see what's going on. Got up, man, that thing, I mean, it was just going this way. And the kids, I mean, of course, they're all like, oh, yes. I mean, I mean, we had kids follow me out the gate at that park because they were looking at my thumb. So we spent a little bit of time in the emergency room. That's a whole other story. You know, it's crazy stuff. You know, people flatlining, you know, ambulances coming in in St. Louis downtown. You know, I got 30 kids. You know, it's all this stuff's going on. But my point to telling you is this. I know that I'm aware, at least, of my arrogance. Many of us aren't. 
So when I go to prayer in the Lord, one of the things I have to make sure is the Lord knows that I need his mercy. I know that I need his mercy. Because I know that I'm a filthy person. Not everybody else. It's me, right? It's me. It's not, I can't point my finger at somebody else for being in need of God's judgment, right? I'm in need of God's judgment because I know that I deserve it. This is very different how we talk to the Lord, but yet we talk about the Lord and talk frivolously about him as if it was nothing when in fact we should be holding our heads down because he's doing us a big favor that we don't deserve. This morning you might be thinking that this is a sermon that, you know, probably sounds a little bit harsh. I'm just giving you the text, right? I had a friend who was a minister. His people told him he needed to stop causing people to question whether or not they are saved. That's what someone in the congregation told him. I told him, don't you stop. Don't you stop. Because I don't know about you, but what I'm seeing here is Jesus is saying to people, you think you're something when you're not. And it's almost like you're ensnared. And you're going to find yourself in a trap. Be careful. It's a warning passage. If you're someone who has a lot of pride this morning, I want to tell you something. There's nothing that you're doing that's impressing God. In fact, I've got to tell you that I have a friend who told me about another guy one time who was very prideful and braggart. He would run people off because of it. We don't want to be that way. If you're prideful this morning, you need to be humbled because the Bible just told us those who are prideful, they're going to be humbled. Those who are arrogant, they're going to be humbled. But those who are humble now, they will receive um, a good thing. They will, it will go, they will be exalted, right? Don't do it. If you are trusting because you have given so much this morning or because you have done so much of this or so much of that, do you know what stands out to me in this larger passage is that Jesus refers to this guy who has these servants and he says, while they're out tending the sheep, the master of the servants, he doesn't come and say, come on in, sit down and eat. Thank you for what you've done. In fact, he doesn't do that. He says, you know what, come in and make me something to eat. You've only done what was expected of you. How about that hipster Jesus? You see why it's important you read it yourself? You haven't done anything to earn being justified by the Lord. You can only be justified by him. If you're someone this morning that looks down on people, maybe there's a certain people group that you're disgusted by this morning, let me tell you something. This is who you need to be praying for. You need to be, while you're praying, you need to be asking God to change who you are inside so that 
when you look at somebody, it's not that moment of instant disgust that you're getting. It's that moment of instant love that you should be giving. Y'all see that? Because those are the people who are rightly connected to the kingdom of God. And if you're somebody this morning that never asks God for mercy, even though we understand that Jesus shed his blood so that you and I would have mercy, can I tell you, maybe you should start asking God for mercy before you're telling him what you want from him. Can you imagine people who are in your life right now that you are concerned about for their salvation? What if they come around Christians who were more humble than what we tend to be, right? Do you think that it's possible that they would be listening to that person more than someone who looks down on them? Last thing I'll tell you, I have a friend that I work with that is going for a doctorate in education. And one of the things that we talk about all the time at school is this. I can't learn from somebody that looks down on me or doesn't care for me. I never have been able to do it. When I was in school, if a teacher looked down on me, um, because of the stories that they might have heard about me or maybe the way I smelt, then I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I knew it immediately. And they could have been teaching me the greatest things in the world, but I didn't listen to a word they said. And she sent me an article that justifies this, so I know I'm not wrong. If the people you care about would come across Christians who don't look down on them, or who are not arrogant or felt like they were worthy of something special from God that they can do what they want, you know what they're going to do? They're going to listen to the good news of Jesus Christ. If the church does that, man. You know how many people be here? Not just us. I bet Liberty First is going to be full. Community Fellowship's going to be full. Liberty Church of God's going to be full. Hilltop Wesleyan Church will be full. My goodness, we would have to build new church. What would happen if we all had to go in together to build new churches? Because people were understanding that only those who are humble are going to receive salvation and they started living like it. Can you imagine us having to go in with another church in another denomination so that we could all build another church together so that more people could get into church? Good grief, I don't even know. I, I don't even know what, what, would, what would we do? We'd ante up, right? But it all starts with us recognizing that we don't deserve what we have and live like we don't deserve what we have and we demonstrate how grateful we are for what God has done for us. That's a whole other sermon. So right now with all heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know, maybe I'm just preaching to myself, but this morning, if 
there are issues that you need to deal with with the Lord. Now is the time to do it. Seek Him and confess. Remember that old word, confess. We don't talk about that anymore. Confess to Him who you are in your heart and recognize where you're falling short. But thank Him for His grace. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now. We're grateful, Lord, for your word. Thank you for what you've taught us, Lord. Thank you for, Lord, thank you that you found me. I would have been lost, Lord. I would have been lost because of me returning what I felt like I was receiving from you and your people. But, Lord, I was so wrong. I pray if anybody feels that way, that they would recognize that we're all just human. We don't always get it right. But Lord, you love us and you demonstrated your love for us, not only on the cross, but through your teaching to us that demonstrates you care for all of us. Father, help us. Help us to be more like you this morning. Now, Father, I pray that you go with us now. Help us to be armed with this and see people differently and look beyond ourselves, Lord. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen.